From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, very proud to announce this, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and expanding. If you've been listening to me the last 11 years, you know I have not taken just any advertisers. I only accept the ones I really believe in, and Justin is one of the best in the mortgage loan space. If you're looking to buy a house in Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, or Kentucky, shop around, and as a part of that shopping around, give Justin a call. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. Okay, time for our second thoughts podcast. A little later in the two-week period after the Clemson game than than expected. Uh, have had several other things I've had to address over the last couple weeks, or over the last week, uh, week and a half since that game uh, ended. But I did do two extended film sessions for the Patreon group, and uh, I got a chance to really go through and and take a closer look of, at that game as a part of that process. And I have to say, in working through that game at that level, uh, and with with much more attention to detail that second time, third time through, fourth time through, I came away significantly encouraged by what I saw in that game. So first of all, I think it's important to, to highlight that number one, I think that Clemson defense is really, really good. I think that stood out over and over again on, on that, on that review. I mean, we talked in the, in the preview about how that Clemson defense was probably the best one Florida State's played, better than the LSU defense, and so on. No doubt. And I did talk about how it was kind of hard to tell with some things with Clemson so far this year because the only team that they'd played with a pulse prior to Florida State had been Duke. And, you know, they lost that game, though they, they really fumbled that game away. And it wasn't really clear. I mean, they there were just a few fluky things in that game, even though Duke... You know, Duke's a good football team and, you know, with Riley Leonard out there, they are, they're, they're really good. I mean, they, they really should have beaten Notre Dame. I mean, they had an opportunity to close that game out on what fourth and 15 and just let it slip away. I mean, that's how close they were to beating Notre Dame. And what's interesting is how there's been a double standard in the media among voters about this because Duke loses to, or Duke beats Clemson in the opener. And Clemson drops out of the rankings, unranked. LSU loses its opener to Florida State now by a lot more in terms of the overall dominance of that game. And they, you know, just drop, what, to 10th or 12th or whatever it was at the time. Then Clemson goes to overtime on their home field against that same Florida State team that smashed that LSU team and LSU loses to Ole Miss by, you know, by one score, but still didn't go to overtime. 
And LSU is still ranked. Clemson, not ranked. And it's simply because they lost to Duke. And Duke's brand name is such a drag on this that even though people kind of know like that's a good Duke team, there's always this sort of feeling of like, yeah, but it's Duke. Like, come on, man, it's Duke. And it's 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 hard even for me at times to not fall prey to that with you know the big brands and the smaller brands in college football and that clemson team not only should be ranked but that clemson team i think is a probably a top 15 maybe top 10 team yeah they shouldn't have lost to duke but again that's an opener and there were some things they were still working out. Brand new offense, several other things. I mean, you could see that their offense the last couple of weeks and with what we just saw them do this week at, at Syracuse, their offense has taken some strides. They're starting to figure things out. Duke caught them in exactly the right week to get them. And granted, again, that's a that's a really good Duke team. I mean, that, that Notre Dame team should have beaten Ohio State. They were, you know, a full... full uh, 11 players on defense on the final couple plays away from beating Ohio state and Duke outplayed that team through most of that game. So that's a good, that's a good Duke team that, that beat Clemson in the opener. And then Clemson, I think has continued to get better since then. And here's the thing. When I, when I was looking at this on the, in those film sessions in those film reviews, one of the things that stood out is that pair of linebackers is not just the best pair of linebackers Florida State's likely to play this year. It might be the best pair of linebackers Florida State's played in like five years. Look, LSU's backers are good, you know, and of course, Perkins is Perkins, and everybody talks about how Perkins might be the best defensive player in the country or whatever. Look, he's a phenomenal athlete. Perkins is an unbelievable athlete. And I talked about on the on the postgame after the LSU game, how jaw-dropping it was to watch him hawk down uh, Toa Fili and pull him down in space the way that he did. I mean, it was just an unbelievable athletic play. The violence and the speed that that guy plays with are just so impressive. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, Clemson, Barrett Carter is better than Perkins. Carter's the best linebacker I've seen play this year. And seeing him on the same field against the same team that Perkins played or a different field against the same team, I should say, that Perkins played against. Carter is better. And Trotter is better than Spates. That is the best set of linebackers in the country, in my opinion. Those two guys. And, I mean, it's probably the two best linebackers in the ACC. I think Cedric Gray from North Carolina has some say in there. But, you know, Carter's the best in the, in the ACC. Trotter's really good. And those guys were just consistently a problem for Florida state. They found ways to, there would be a seam and those guys would find ways into that seam. And a couple of the plays that FSU schemed up to get matchups with say Jaheim bell downfield, Barrett Carter is one of maybe two or three guys in the country at linebacker that isn't giving up a big play there. So that stood out. And then beyond that, I think it's the best set of corners you're going to play this year. Wiggins, I knew Wiggins was good, but Wiggins played like first round good in that game. Really, really good. And, you know, they they played well across the board in the secondary. Everybody knew that they had top level 
you know, probably two of the top three safeties in the, in the conference. And then on the defensive line, they were at least as good as what LSU had put out there. They handled their business at the defensive tackle spot and they gave the right side of Florida state's offensive line in particular, right tackle. I I thought buyers had a rough, rough outing overall. They gave them trouble. And the way that their defensive tackles were able to essentially close down on some on some things and make sure that they maintained leverage over and over again, it was a situation where if Florida State's backs weren't perfect, if they didn't hit the seam exactly when it opened with the right amount of speed, et cetera, then there was nothing there. And Florida State's just been a little out of sync on the season in terms of the running game. And that's one thing that stood out in this game. And I thought, actually, there were a few places where the, the offensive line did a good job of, of providing opportunities to the backs, and the backs just missed them. And then there were a couple of other opportunities, I'm thinking in particular of the one where Hill was just sort of waiting for things to open up, where Clemson just stoned the, the Florida State offensive line, and there was just nothing there. And it's one of those things where, you know, you've got to get the, you got to get everything moving for the running game to quite get on track and, you know, get everything moving in the same direction with some rhythm. And Florida State's not been able to find that in terms of the running game at all this year. And partly because they played against some, some, uh, a couple of defenses that were able to take that away at different points. Some of it's other factors, which we'll get into, but all in all, one of the first things that really I wanted to emphasize here is how good that Clemson defense is. That is that is an, that is a borderline elite Clemson defense in in terms of a very good. It's not an elite defensive line, but it's a very good defensive line. Those are elite linebackers, elite safeties, and at least one elite corner with another good corner. So Florida State had their work cut out for them, and they had to find ways to to get some things done. Now, I do think looking at the at the offensive line, there were times where, and I brought this up in the film session, there are times where I think once again the offensive line is tipping certain plays. So uh, this year, I think it's mostly been on the left side, but both sides of the offensive line have at different points. If it's going to be a pull, you know it's going to be a pull by their setting up for a pull. I mean, you can see the weight, the body weight. You can see how they're leaning back in their stance. You can see that they're lining up a quarter yard further into the backfield. And that's something that's a piece of, of attention to detail. That's something that I brought up last year that, I mean, there were multiple games last year where I brought it up as like, guys, I think they're tipping this. And then I ended up talking to a, a defensive coach from another another school that played Florida State, and he explicitly told me that they they identified several tells on the offensive line, and that that had been a major factor in their having more success, particularly stopping the run last year, than they would have had otherwise. And as much attention to detail as Florida State puts in play, as you know, Mike Norvell is a detailed, organized guy. And he prides himself and they pride themselves within the program as being very detail oriented. That's that's an oversight the last couple of years that I'm a little surprised at, honestly, is just not being detail oriented enough in terms of not giving up tells or tips on the offensive line. And that's something they're going to have to figure out how to how to discipline in in practice and make sure that they're taking care of it. Honestly, if it's me, if I'm Mike Norvell, I have one of my 
quality control guys or or uh, one of my GAs or something during the game at this point looking for tells. I've, I've get, I'll give him the list that that have been identified by self scouting, and I'm going to have him in the, in the booth explicitly with binoculars looking for tells all game and then reporting down between drives so that that can get addressed and fixed between between drives. Because if they don't do that at this point, I think they're going to continue to have problems here. This is an attention to detail thing that they're going to have to nip in the bud. So that was another thing. And I thought there were a few times where Clemson seemed to have identified it and the backers flowed faster than like unnaturally fast. It was like, okay, they, I think they, I, I think they saw the same thing I did there. So that was another thing that stood out. And then, you know, I mentioned it on the, on the, the hot takes podcast. I thought Jordan Travis was having some trouble as a thrower, just in terms of his motion. I think, I think that's been a bit of a problem all season. Uh, I've gotten some who, who suggested that, you know, this is because of the injury. I don't think so. Look, I've, I've injured my, I've, I've had shoulder injuries before and a left shoulder injury should not cause the uh some of the the throwing motion stuff that that we see from Travis right now. Uh we'll see what it looks like this week, this next week, but uh I just I think right now there needs to be more emphasis on making sure that he drives the ball down the field by by getting full extension and getting getting full extension with the arm above the shoulder rather than pulling down and across. And I just think there's been a lot of attention on pulling down and across and it's deleterious towards, you know, throwing accuracy. And he missed a couple in this game that he should have made. He missed within the strike zone on a couple. Uh, there were also a couple of plays where, you know, I thought Keon Coleman, there were a couple of little fundamental things that he needs to do a little bit better to, to put him in, himself in position to have more success as a pass catcher. Couple times where he waited on the ball instead of going and attacking it. If he attacks it, he probably comes down with it. It's one time where Johnny Wilson did the same thing. They got to come downhill and come back to the football just a little better. And the the tighter the coverage, the better the defensive back, and the more he's going to close on that, the more important that is. Uh, and especially you know if your quarterback's not zipping it in there the way that maybe he could or ha- has in the past, you got to emphasize that all the more. So that's something else that that I identified there, but. All in all, on the offensive side, I, I really thought Florida State was was close. There were a lot of plays that were just close to hitting, close to being a, a, a big play, close to breaking out. There were probably four or five where it's like, man, you know, that tiny little detail is taken care of. Once that's taken care of, that might score. I mean, one of the most obvious ones was uh, the little slip slip screen or, you know, flat route to, uh, to Benson where they had a, it was a, it was a called screen, but they're only bringing one guy out as buyers, uh, as a, as a, um, as the screen, as the lead on the screen. And, you know, this is off play action. It's a really nice design on the play. And they were so close to that being a 35 yard touchdown if Byers gets even a piece of, I think it was Jeremiah Trotter there at linebacker. If he even gets a piece of Trotter, just touches him on the shoulder pad, then Benson's able to get out into open space and that probably scores because he's got blockers ahead of him and it's a one-on-none ahead. But Trotter's able to undercut the, the block, 
And just because he's that good of an athlete and he sniffed it out just in time, he's able to to get a, a tackle. And Benson ended up breaking the tackle and getting another about eight yards after rolling over on him. But it might have scored. And if Jordan Travis puts that ball out in front of Benson instead of making him kind of reach up and slow down for it, it might score anyway. It's probably at least a 15, 20 yard play as Trotter is trying to chase him down and it ends up being a a race to the sideline and, you know, Benson's faster. So, you know, that's an example of that where they, they were close on so many offensive plays in that game that would have completely changed the complexion of the game. And what Clemson kept doing is getting guys on the ground, finding ways where the the execution on Florida State's side was not perfectly clean and taking advantage of just that one little mistake or that one little lack of detail and getting a guy on the ground and getting off the field instead of that being a big play and scoring. And, you know, you score on even two or three of those, say five or six that were close, and this game suddenly has a radically different shape. So that's one of the things that stood out to me is just how close I think FSU is offensively to really exploding. Uh, And again, playing a really good defense, it means that you actually have to, you can't be close. You've got to be, you've got to be that good. And you got to match the the level of attention to detail and Florida state didn't. And that, and yet they still won. So that's a good sign. Another thing is I do think I'm more convinced even than I was on the first watch that they're probably going to want to take a closer look at what they're doing personnel wise on the offensive line. There are a couple guys who right now against top level defensive lines. So against a, a Clemson or, you know, upcoming a Miami, somebody like that, you're going to, you're going to have to have, you're going to have to figure out whether you need to tighten up your rotation, maybe move some guys to different spots you're asking some guys to do some things that they are not quite as good at doing right now on the, on the offensive line. There are a couple guys who, you know, you look at, you look at them when they pull and they're just a little too slow on the pull. There's guys. And I think that's one of the reasons you're getting those tips. Uh, there's guys who are a little bit of a little bit weaker in terms of single, you know, you, you look at buyers, he struggled against the speed rush at, uh, at the right tackle spot. Sing, you know, single, one-on-one matchups, not, not ideal there. Uh, just in general, they're going to have to figure out what they, what they, what those guys can do, where they need to line certain guys up in terms of, of lineup to make sure that they're putting guys in the best position to be able to do what they can do well. Um, and I think if it, if it were me, I would give very strong, consideration to moving buyers inside, which gives you another better athlete at guard who can, who can pull and do some of the stuff you want to do at counter and putting Washington at right tackle against better pass rushing teams. Now you might not want to do that against everybody, but I think having that option is a, is a good option. Uh, I think that it was also, it's also interesting. Florida States run outside zone as much as they've run, uh, counter so far this year. And I think they're probably going to have to lean more into outside zone. I'd like to see them run a little more inside zone, honestly, with the, with the guards that they have 
you know, I think especially when, with Keandre on the, on the field, you know, some of the bigger guys, I think moving to some more zone stuff inside zone in particular, I'd like to see a little more of, but they, they did some outside zone stuff. And I thought with the outside zone stuff, the right side of the offensive line had a little bit of difficulty getting, you know, getting the cutoff against, against Clemson to handle that. But I do think that in certain cases, just being a little bit more diverse is is going to be something that they're, that they're going to have to do this year because they're just not quite as good or haven't been quite as good or consistent blocking counter as they'd like to be, which means that you have to diversify. But the thing is, when you look at the numbers and when you go through what they've actually run, you know, as I'm going through this and uh, sort of charting it in my head, this is yet another game where they ran outside zone about the same number of times they ran counter. And so, uh, so they're going to have to figure out though, what they, what they really do best. And I think that also has to go to, you know, all the 12 personnel or 21 personnel, some of those things, you're gonna have to figure out what personnel you actually, you actually want, uh, out there and where, where you're going to get your, your best bang for buck and most big plays and all of that. And I do think that with some of the guys coming back from injury that they've got, some of the, some of the teams that are coming up on the schedule, having a little bit more, running a little bit more 11 personnel might actually be a good idea as well in terms of, you know, maybe in, in involving Destin Hill a little bit more in the offense. Uh, you're looking at Ja'Kai Douglas coming back from injury. You know, some of these things, I think having a little bit more, uh, some, some more options on that end as well to create some intermediate plays rather than just big play or nothing, uh, is going to be something that they're going to have to consider and, and figuring out ways to, to balance all of that is going to be hard. I mean, I don't think there's any obvious solutions in there in terms of what you, what you have to do. I think they've got to weigh costs and benefits. I also, honestly, I think that, you know, as you're talking about 11 personnel and some of those other things, I I think they may get to the, to the point where, it would be, and I got a question about this, and I'm going to do a, a separate mailbag episode where I may spend more time on this, but I do think it may end up being worthwhile to just sort of decide to be more of a passing team. I mean, Norvell's always going to be a run-heavy guy, just by nature. That's what he believes in. But I do wonder, moving forward, I mean, do you just play more shotgun, do some empty-type stuff, uh, or, you know, 11-type personnel with with bell split wide and you know moving bell around and all of that and just running a bunch of quick game type stuff and getting the ball out of jordan travis's hands into the hands of playmakers on shorter stuff not just screens and you know the 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 things that they've been running on the shorter end but more you know more true quick game you know your smash concepts your quick slants your you know stuff like that uh your levels concepts more, uh, more mesh where you're not just looking to the rail, uh, just different things like that. I think might be something where, you know, you tip the balance a little bit towards throwing the football a little more than what you've done and done so far this year. Uh, that said, I do think also you probably want to do more true RPO stuff. I mean, I've not really seen them try to do a whole lot with the, you know, the glance RPO that they've made some pretty good, uh, some pretty good money on the last couple of years. I mean, they've had success with the, you know, counter glance con- uh, concept or, uh, 
you know, inside zone with a, with a glance route. And a glance, remember, is this uh, slightly longer uh, slant route where if they're going to bring those safeties down or they're going to bring backers up and have them trigger quickly against the run, doing a little bit more with some of that stuff in terms of some of those uh, quick game RPOs might be a good idea to to do a little bit more of. And they've not done quite as much of that this year as they did last year. And maybe, you know, that's something that you you feel a little more comfortable going to 11 personnel and you have the uh, the slot receiver doing a little bit more of that uh, of that kind of glance route given some of the looks you might get there. Or maybe you stick with with 12 personnel and you have, you know, somebody like Jaheim Bell doing some of that. But I think there's some there's a lot of options that they have and they're just going to have to sort out what they're good at. And I think through a month right now this this offense is really close. The Florida State offense is really close, but right now it doesn't have a true identity. And that's really what you're hoping to have found over the bye week, you know, during the open open week and into the preparation for for this week. Your hope is you can you can get some of that stuff figured out and find out who you are and what identity you're going to to lean into as a as an offense. I think they wanted to be a power run team that would just run the ball down teams throats this year and I think that's what they worked on through fall camp. I think that's what the expectation has been with all the 12 personnel and against LSU and against Clemson and even to to a lesser extent against the other two lesser uh, defenses, they've not been able to do that. They've not been able to just impose their will, you know, running counter and outside zone, inside zone, that sort of thing. And if that's not going to work, they're going to have to hang their hat on something else as their identity. And they got to figure that out. I think that's that's really got to be the singular focus the next couple of weeks is figure out who you are, what you have to hang your hat. What what is the thing that you hang your hat on with this group, with this set of offensive linemen, this set of backs, this quarterback, these wide receivers and tight ends? Who are we? And I think that's what they're going to have to figure out. I think they can be an elite offense still, but they haven't quite been that so far. They've been a little bit less than the some of the some of the parts so far or the, the sum has been a little bit less than the, than the total, you know, than the, than the parts might suggest so far this season. That's largely because they just haven't gotten things to kind of work together based on whatever that identity needs to be. Now, flipping it over to the defensive side, I do think the, the defense also has to kind of figure out who they want to be. And, I th- I, the hope is that that this was a game where Fuller was able to kind of figure out that this is a defense that he can actually trust his corners and that he can get more aggressive. Interesting thing is if you go back and you watch Fuller's defense at Memphis, the 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 first year he was coordinator under Norvell was of course at Memphis, and if you go back and you watch those games, and I, you know I've got the all twenty-two from those games, so you know I've, I've got a chance to take a look at really what they're doing for sure. They were more aggressive. He he brought more pressure, and were more flexible defensively. Ran a little bit more variation, a good bit more variation in that year at Memphis than he does at Florida State now. So you know when I was going through the the first half stuff for for Florida State. I don't know how many how many uh, plays there were, but uh, let's just say out of 30 plays ish, about 20, 22, 23 were 
were cover seven. I mean, they were just bench front cover seven. So one of the, and that's sort of striking to me because when Fuller was hired at Florida state, when he was asked to talk about his philosophy as a defensive coach, what he emphasized was he strongly believed in, you know, he's got a distinctive way of talking about this. He strongly believed in presenting the same look at the snap play by play as much as possible. And then to vary what that's going to be when the ball turns over. That was his thing. When the ball turns over, I want the quarterback to not be certain of what he's going to see play in play out. So I want to present the same two safety middle of the field, open quarters base coverage. Look every play at the snap. And then depending on what I want to call, it's all of a sudden going to rotate to, it, it could stay in that or it's going to rotate to something else. And that was what he emphasized. That's, that's what he wanted to be. But that's not what they are. And that's not what they've been the last couple of years. I mean, what we saw, what we, what we saw a lot of last year was some, you know, in certain situations, cover two man, you know, man under, which is a Randy Shannon special. And what we saw in this one was much more, I mean, it's much more like what you would see from, say, a Shannon defense at, at, uh, at, at Miami, except Shannon would run cover two, you know, just run a ton of cover two. More modern approach is being put out there with co- with the cover seven thing. And the cover seven, cover seven is from the, the quarters coverage family. It's, you know, four deep if there are four vertical releases that get matched up and they become one to one-on-ones. But there's all sorts of checks and, you know, reads and things baked in so that you always have an answer to everything that the offense is going to do, at least theoretically. So your guys can, you know, you play one thing so your guys can play it and play it fast. That's, you know, it's why Alabama, it's why Georgia, it's why all these teams base out of cover seven these days. It's the first coverage everybody installs. But to run that 80% or 85% of the time, that (sighs) Clemson was able to basically just know what Florida State was going to line up in, what they were going to be after the cover, after the snap. And they were able to kind of take what they wanted. And it, it, you know, once again, I talked about it in the, in the hot takes and the film reinforced it on this, in this case, just taking the easy inside releases that was just, it was just simple. They were able to get formation what they wanted, and then know that they were going to get they were going to get an inside release, a, a free inside release against an outside leverage player, and then just make an easy throw. Well, you can't do that, and you certainly can't do that when they know play in play out. You're going to be in the same look, and you're going to be in the same coverage. You're making it too easy. Now, I do think that this is largely a function of. They want to make sure that 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 those defensive players can play simple, play fast. But when they got to the second half, they ran cover. They ran cover seven. Maybe it totally flipped. It was like 25 percent of the time, and they brought pressure like forty percent of the time. Now it was mostly the same two blitzes. They didn't. It doesn't appear to me that they that they had a lot of different blitzes in the in the preparation for this game. I don't know how many blitzes they carry or how many packages they carry game to game, but 
it wasn't very many in this. I mean, almost everything they brought was some version of a buck blitz from the from the the boundary side, bringing the buck safety down. They did bring a, a buck and free safety blitz at one point. They brought both guys. But interesting thing is, as soon as they started blitzing, they had much more success. And I think part of that was that they started getting some pressure, but it wasn't just the pressure. It's that they let the corners play tight and play inside leverage. And when the corners played tight with inside leverage, they were able to actually get some wins against those receivers. And this gets me to my larger point. One of my big takeaways from this Clemson game was I think Fuller is going to have to settle on. This is a pressure defense. This is a defense where, yeah, you can base and cover seven. That's fine. But you're, you're probably not best off just playing a bunch of cover seven this season you're best off. This is a defense where you've got the corners to dictate. Those guys are not getting beat. And until you play a team that can prove that they're going to beat those guys downfield over and over again, and, and that your corners can't hold up and inside leverage, true man free, that sort of thing, then just go ahead and start playing it. Play those guys inside leverage. You say you take him away, just go. And while you're at it, add a, another rusher or two to the, to the pass rush, which then allows you to present a little bit more of a stout front defensively in terms of the, the, the running game. When they did that, they had more success. And I think that's going to that's gonna be something they need to give strong consideration to moving forward. That This is going to be a team that's going to need to bring more pressure. It's going to need to be a team that plays middle of the field closed more often and just says... Corners win. Because I think they've got the corners to be able to do that. And they didn't have those corners to be able to do that with consistency in prior years. So I understand them getting out of that habit. But it's time to get back on that bike. And until you play a team that has receivers that terrify you in that in that context, I think you mix that in, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of the time. So instead of going cover seven, 85 percent of the time, 90 percent of the time, you go cover seven. 45% of the time. And then you fire zone it with the middle field closed five man pressure. 20% of the time you go, you know, true man, free robber, something like that. Another 30% of the time you start mixing that stuff and letting guys play. And I think that, I think that solves some of your problems defensively because they handled their business up front. By and large, Florida State handled their business with the defensive tackles, the defensive ends. There was a brief period in there where Clemson started having success with counter. They, they figured out how to uh, handle Florida State's particular way they were spilling it. They were able to log the, the end who was, who was spilling the, the, the play, and the linebacker was coming just a little bit too wide. And Clemson was able to, to uh, kick out that backer after logging the uh, the, the end inside and then the back was able to, to cut off of that and, and get some seams. Fortunately for Florida State, that happened right at the very end of the third quarter and FSU was able to get that fixed going into the fourth and they had a couple backers come real tight and wrong arm it into that guard. Was They didn't get kicked out. One in particular, Omar Graham, took care of beautifully and then they were able to get that that back to further bounce, and and that took that away. Uh, the secondary players were able to clean that up. That was that was good, good adjustment by Florida State there. The other thing is that they they've just started blitzing more, 
So, you know, as the counter would start to hit, you have the blitzing player arriving. <laughs> so that took it away. So again, I think that defensively, they're going to have to identify, they're going to have to figure out who, what their identity is. And I think their identity should probably be a team that is going to bring more pressure and is going to rely on their corners to be dominant, to be really good. Because I think they've got corners that are not necessarily dominant, but they're good enough that that once you start bringing pressure, they're not going to give up a whole lot of plays. So those are my main takeaways from the defensive side coming out of this one. Is you know I think and by the way, Jared Verse played an absolutely s- stellar game in this one, and uh, Farmer to me got a you know he he got a game ball from from me. Farmer played like a grown man out there. So, and and maybe the upset of the year so far is that Farmer has been the best defensive tackle, not, not Lovett so far. Lovett's still, I think, working back a little bit, but Farmer has been the most, most impressive defensive tackle for Florida State in every game, except for the Boston College game where he was very clearly sick. I mean, in hindsight, that guy must've been one of the guys with with the flu, but Farmer in three of the four games so far this year has been Florida State's best defensive tackle. And, you know, that's not saying anything negative about Love It. It's just that Farmer's raised his level that high. And then, uh, you know, you thought maybe Fisk might be that, that guy as well. But Farmer's been that dude on the, in- on the interior. And that's a good sign. That means more depth. So, um, all that said, I think this is a good place to, uh, to wrap for, for this episode. I'm going to do a, a I'm going to release a, a mailbag episode on Thursday and then, uh, and then the usual preview on Friday, but we're getting rolling and, um, yeah, lot to, uh, lot to be excited about. All right. That'll do. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>